Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. The Word of God is perfect. Scripture, in its original form, did not have any errors, any mistakes whatsoever. We read in the Bible that the Holy Spirit inspired holy men, that is, men who were chosen uniquely by God for the purpose of writing down God's revelation, His truth the Word of God to us, to humanity. And even though men are not perfect because of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this inspiration caused men to write down accurately, correctly, perfectly God's Word, His revelation, His truth to humanity. So in the original manuscript, that original writing, that writing is perfect. But what happens? Well, that writing was copied and copied and copied. And because of that, there can be what's known as scribal error, human mistake. Normally, these scribal errors can be discerned. We can look at other manuscripts and get to the conclusion of what should have been written there. But sometimes there's an error and both what was original and what was, was mistakenly written down, both make sense. And we don't know which came first, which is the original and which is the heir of the scribe. Now, these are seldom. But when things were copied and copied in different cultures, at different times, different traditions emerge, and we can have air. But these errors, for the most part, are very insignificant and do not change, do not impact our theology, our belief in the, the major principles of the Bible. Now, there's another issue which is more relevant for our discussion today. And that is that manuscript is translated into other languages. And now we have a whole nother issue. There can be translational problems. The translator may not understand the original, the original language well, he may not understand the culture, the backgrounds. He may not understand how words were used at that time and that culture and for the purpose of something specific. And therefore, when he renders it into a different language, he does not bring that right understanding. And at the heart of our issue is that sometimes 
in the biblical language, a variety of words are used, different words. They have a similar meaning, but there is a slight difference. But when the translator renders them into his language, he uses the same word for all these different ones in the original language. Also, the alternative can be done. It can be this same biblical word, and the translator, wanting to show variety, will choose different words, similar words, synonyms, in order to render that. And because of that, there can be confusion. Well, in this time of study, we want to deal with something that is indeed confusing, is indeed controversial, is indeed mistaken by many. So the purpose is to set things straight. And what's the issue that we're talking about? Well, in the scripture, at a variety of different times and different purposes and different expressions of, of the issue, we see that things were placed upon the, upon the forehead and sometimes also the forearm. And we want to be assured we want to understand the significance of that. So we're going to begin in what's said in the book of Revelation and chapter 7. In Revelation chapter 7, we see that God is utilizing angels. And there's angels that's going to go out and bring trouble, hardship, judgment, the wrath of God into this world. But before those angels are released to do so, something is said. It is said that these angels don't go forth, don't harm the earth until something takes place. And that is that God, and hear this word, God seals the, the tribes of Israel, that 144,000. Now, we could spend a lot of time on that 144,000, and what tribes are mentioned there, what one is missing, what one replaces it. But the purpose of this, this study is not to go in those directions. In fact, we've dealt with those things in other video teachings. We want to deal with what is said, and that is that they were supposed to be sealed with some type of seal, some type of mark. And it's very important that we pay attention to the language. Obviously, the book of Revelation was written in Greek. And the word here for a seal is the word sephragis. And sephragis speaks about something that has authority. Something that, that shows that someone else has authority over this. For example, we know that in that same book of Revelation, there was a book that was sealed with seven seals, and this word is use. And no one had the authority, no one had the ability even to break these seals and, and reveal what's contained except one, and that is Messiah. So this sealing showed ownership, possession. And here's another key word, and that is purpose. 
ownership, authority with a purpose. So when we look at Revelation chapter 7, God sealed. Now, we don't know how he sealed these 12 tribes, these these 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, that 144,000. We don't know if it was visible or invisible, if it was something spiritual or something physical. But what's important is that these people were sealed by God for a purpose, and he calls them his servants. He is going to seal them so that they can serve him later on. God is identifying himself with this group of people, that he is their authority. And that seal is going to shield them from specifically, hear this, shield them specifically from God's wrath. This is what the word of God reveals. Now, here's where it gets somewhat confusing. We know later on in the book of Revelation, in chapter 13, there are others who are going to receive a mark upon their forehead or their forearm. And here's what's important. The word that is used here is different. Remember, the word in Revelation 7 was a word, sephragis. But in Revelation chapter 13, we're dealing with the word charagma. Charagma. And charagma is something which is engraved. Very important. It's used, for example, in the book of, of Acts. And there in the book of Acts, chapter 17, it speaks about something that is engraved and is used for the purpose of idolatry. So the mark that was placed upon the tribes of Israel in Revelation chapter 7 had no connection whatsoever with idolatry. It was the mark of God. And again, we don't know if it was visible or invisible. If it was something physical, something spiritual, it was for God. God used that. It was very similar to what we see, a different word, but it's a different language. This is Greek. If we go back to Hebrew, we know that that a man by the name of Cain killed his brother. Sometimes in English we say the word Cain, Hebrew Cain. And, and this one had a mark placed upon his forehead, the Hebrew word ot. Ot usually speaks of something supernatural that only God can do. And we know because of that ot, no one could kill Cain. He was shielded from any death penalty placed upon him by, by others. This is significant. But when we get to Revelation 13 and the mark, and specifically the mark of the beast, a different word is used. I mentioned that. It is the word charagma. And this has to do with something that's related to idolatry. And we know that unless someone received that mark, either upon their forehead or forearm, they could not conduct any business transactions whatsoever. So it didn't matter if you were wealthy. 
Didn't matter how much possessions you had. You could not sell those and turn them into money. You could not use the money that you had or anything of value. You were banished. You were cut off from all financial transactions. And here's something very important. This one was visible. And this one in Revelation 13 was, was only able to be received with knowledge. Because the whole purpose of the mark of the beast is that one pledges an absolute allegiance, submissiveness, obedience to the beast, this empire. So this mark of the beast, as I've said in other teachings, cannot be taken by accident. It's not going to be something that's sneaked in to you by, by you not knowing. Because the whole purpose, and hear this, is that one who receives it only receives it if he swears, he takes an oath, he promises, he pledges allegiance to the authority of the beast that he will submit. So anything that, that one takes... And it's not for the purpose of giving a verbal allegiance, a total surrendering, a total submissiveness, a total obedience to a world empire is not the mark of the beast. So nothing that has been offered. And it's so sad and unfortunate that there are individuals and they're either one of two things. Either they are, are trying to sensationalize things and gather a following, selling something, doing something for, for a profit by saying that this corona vaccine is somehow related to the mark of the beast. It is not. It has none of the biblical characteristics or qualifications to be thought of in this way. So one is either very biblically uninformed or one is a charlatan, a cheater, a, a false teacher, someone using what's going on in the world for their own purpose, for their own gain, for their own benefit. Now, I think there's something very, very significant, and that is this. When we look at the mark of the beast, put aside anything that's going on right now, when there is a world government, that's the first thing that has to take place. There is a government that's ruling over the world. And this government says, you can't do any type of business transaction. You can't buy something, you can't sell something, you can't transfer your wealth for any purpose whatsoever, unless first, you pledge allegiance, you submit to the, the Antichrist empire, the empire of that, that beast. Now, what's interesting is where it's placed. It says on the forehead or on the forearm. And why is that important? Because if you know your Bible well, the Torah, we find that twice in the book of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, and Deuteronomy chapter 11, also in the book of Exodus twice, two times in the book of Exodus chapter 13, it talks about 
what's called the tefillin, or in English, phylacteries, where we're called to bind, and hear this carefully, when we're called to bind the Word of God, literally the commandments of God, to our forearm and our forehead, not one or the other, but both. Why? What's the message of the tefillin? The forehead thinking that we're called to think according to the commandments of God. And we're called the forearm to do, to act, behave, work. And therefore we're called to do, behave in light of the commandments of God. So the primary message of the tefillin is to think and do according to the commandments of God. Now, it may very well be that this Antichrist, his empire, will do the exact opposite. That you have to take a mark of the beast, pledging your authority and your allegiance to this, this wicked empire for the purpose that you're going to think, let him control your mind, and let him control your deeds. That allegiance, that submitting to authority. So there may be a connection between the mark of the beast and this switching, taking that which God says to do and the corruption of the Antichrist by saying, no, don't do or think con concerning the commandments of God, but think and do concerning what this empire tells you to do. Now, the last thing I want to talk about is something else that's known as a mark upon the forehead, but it's very different. Now, when we look upon the scripture and we talk about the sealing of that 144,000, as I mentioned, we don't know how they were sealed upon their forehead. I mentioned maybe visible, maybe not. Maybe something spiritual that only God and his angels could could see. Maybe it was something that was visible. We don't know. But we know this. We know that when we speak about another mark, and I'll talk about this now at this time, this was something that was engraved, but it was engraved upon gold. And it was fastened to what's called the mitznefet, that, that special hat of the high priest, attached to that high priest, his hat, with, with, with ribbons of techelet, that is a unique blue, like the color of the sky, the color of, of the sea. So this inscription was a holy inscription. It testified that Aharon and the high priest that would follow him took this gold, placed it upon their foreheads, but attached it to not literally their forehead, but the hat, the mitznefet that, that the high priest wore. They attached it with these ribbons of, of techelet, that royal blue. And it was inscribed in gold. And what was said there? Kadosh Lashem which means holy to the Lord. So it signifies that the work of the high priest, especially when he worked for the forgiveness of sins for the people, this was his purpose. So he was set apart. 
Now, this can be likened to because this, this piece of gold with those ribbons of techelet that were fastened to the hat of the high priest, it's called tzitz. So different words are being used, and these different words convey different things in its entirety. But we may be able to make a connection between the tzitz and the connection of the sealing of the tribes of Israel, those 12 tribes, because God is going to use them. Remember, if you read carefully concerning that 144,000 in the book of Revelation in chapter 7, you find that he calls them servants of God. And the word holy relates to serving God. Because holiness, kedushah, is always involved in a purpose of God, His will, His program, what He commands us. And these 144,000, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, these group of people, servants of God, are going to be used ultimately for His purpose. So let's not fall into false teaching. Let's not get excited and let our excitement and, and that which people attempt to make sensational, let them not lead us away from the truth. We know that in Revelation 7, there are going to be those from the children of Israel that are sealed supernaturally by God in order to serve him and serve according to his purposes. We know likewise in Revelation 13, there is going to be that mark of the beast, a different word entirety, speaking about something different. And that is instead of walking with the tefillin upon your forehead and forearm, remembering and doing, thinking about and carrying out the commandments of God, the mark of the beast speaks about utter allegiance, thinking about and carrying out the will of the Antichrist. So these words we find biblically are different. Unfortunately, many times in other languages, the same word is used to convey all of these. They ought not. They all speak about something different. They have different purposes and different expressions within how they were used in, in a practical sense. Whether they were engraved upon gold, whether it was an engraving or a marking upon the flesh, or whether it was something supernatural, something spiritual. So this is another indication of why it's so important that we look at the original language, that we study thoroughly so that we know the truth of God, His revelation, and that we can apply it to our life because we want to be individuals that submit to the truth of God, bearing the revelation of God out in our lives. Well, I'll close with that. Until next time, Shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, 
loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Thank you.